The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. In 1989, Russia, a group of children's soccer players in a park encounter three aliens and their robot companion. Sounds like a childlike story. It was mocked around the world when it was reported by Russia's biggest news agency. Is there any truth to the story of this alien encounter? And if there is, how would we ever defend against such a threat? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I got one story for you today. I actually recorded two. The episode turned out to be super long. I really like this second story better. I've been thinking about it for like a week and a half. Now, so I edited out the first part. Maybe I'll do it some other time. It was it was, it was was okay. But I got this story for you. Now, since I'm doing all this editing, I want to rethink my Patreons because I thanked them in the original version. We have, these are our new Patreons. We have Steroids and Crack Cocaine. Thank you, Steroids and Crack Cocaine, for supporting the show. Lubos Halsbauer, really hope I'm pronouncing that right. Lubos Halsbauer, thank you so much for supporting the show. Cantillions, big supporter of the show. We talk a lot on Twitter, or I follow him a lot on Twitter. I read his tweets. I don't really tweet that much, but I do read his tweets. His tweets, what? His tweets. He read his, I'm so exhausted, man. I had to wake up super early, walk to the dentist, four hours in the dentist chair. They had to put a cap on my tooth. It's just been an ordeal. Anyways, thank you. Thank you, Cantillions, for supporting the show means a lot, and I uh, hope you started, he had a podcast before, it got, I'll let him tell the story, because it's actually a really interesting story, but, and then, but thank you, Cantillians, yeah, it's a really interesting story, and then Dude No also is supporting the show, thank you, Dude No, he doesn't have an exclamation point on, no, but I'm just adding that, thank you, Dude No, so steroids and crack cocaine, Lubos, Halsbauer, Cantillians, and Dude No, thank you so much for supporting the show, so let's go ahead and head to Russia. Let's hop on board the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. Let's get into the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We are going to Russia. We're going to Mother Russia. And specifically, we're going to the year 1989. September 27th, 1989. Almost 30 years to the day. Today is. Today is almost 30 years to the date that this story takes place. So now, through the magic of editing, we now join... The 25-minute-plus story that I've already recorded. Enjoy. I hope you guys enjoyed that story. It's not just filler. I was thinking about that story a lot because I just got done doing that play with that talking dog. I was in a play about a talking dog, and I'd be sitting up there in the booth, and I'd be like, I I hate dogs. I love them. I'll pet them, but... Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to our first official story. Now, this story I've actually been thinking about for a long time. Well, I should say about a week and a half because I found out about it a week and a half ago. We are going to Voronezh, Russia. Voronezh, Russia. A small town, it's about 700,000 people, 300 miles southeast of Moscow. So 1989, September 27th. There's a little park in Voronezh and it's called I'm going to butcher this. Uh 
Levo Brezny's Park. Levo Brezny's Park, right? And it is a nice fall day. Kids are out playing. People are waiting for the bus. People are walking through the park. Young lovers, soccer balls, all sorts of park stuff. Squirrels hanging out. It's a perfect little park is what I'm getting at. Perfect little park. Little statue of a guy squirting out water. You'd want to hang out there. Now, you know what? And actually, before I get into the story, let me do this. Because I usually do I usually do this differently. I'm going to go over the debunking stuff first. Normally, I do that at the end. I want to do it a little bit different this episode. So, this story was reported by Taz. And what Taz is, it's a Russian news agency. It's actually one of the biggest news agencies in the world. And this is during Glasnost. This is when the Soviet Union was becoming more open to the West and we were sharing more information and resources and stuff like that. This comes about as the Soviet Union is beginning to collapse. But they said, you know, let's just be more open to the West. So the Taz News Agency wrote up the story that I'm about to tell you. And they're like, this is a true story. And the Russians are like, this story is amazing. And the Western newspapers, because this was covered in the New York Times and the Washington Post, but they were both like, look how stupid this story is. The articles are online. They're going to be in the links for the Washington Post and the New York Times. And they're both very like, get a, get a, get a load of these rubes over here. So there was a lot of pushback from this story right from the beginning. And one of the biggest clues that the story may be fake is that Taz quoted a specific scientist in their article and the scientist came forward and said I never spoke to this newspaper before I have no idea what they're talking about and even though Taz is a legitimate news service company they're they're up there with Associated Press and Reuters at the time they had some weird stories one of the stories was about a man who could take a bubble bath (laughs) so funny man could take a bubble bath create a giant bubble, crawl into it, and hang out in there for 10 seconds, and then it would pop. And so the Western media was like, these guys have lost their rockers. Like this, and they're they're Soviet Union, so they don't have rockers in the first place. They haven't been invented over there. They said, this stuff is obviously fake. To be fair, though, they would call up, people. reporters were calling up Taz and said, is this some sort of joke? Is this a tabloid thing? And Taz was like, no, this is 100% true. Like, we stand, they stand by this story today. They say, no, it's totally true. But you quoted this guy who said he wasn't in it. No, no, no. He gave us the quote. He gave us the quote, and the story's true. We have names. of That's always a big thing. A lot of times articles will just say, an unnamed source. There are not only names of people who are witness of this story, but they went on camera and said, my name is so-and-so, and and they were being interviewed on camera, and they were like, yes, this story 100% happened. So, it's a really interesting thing to debunk because you have one culture saying the story's totally made up and you have the other culture saying, no, it's totally true. And even within that, you have all these little things. So, it's one of those stories like, is it true or not? We don't know. It does come from a source that is generally reputable, but it's a kind of a suspicious time because they had the bubble story. And they'd run stories about Bigfoot every once in a while. But Russia was really in, they still kind of are, But especially towards the end of the Soviet Union, UFOlogy became really big in the Soviet Union. So that's the debunking stuff out of it. But let's go ahead and move on to this story here. So what happens in Russia on September 27th, 1989? People are hanging out at the park, right? And then all of a sudden, people look up and there is a massive UFO over the park, really appearing out of nowhere. 
It was 45 feet long and 18 feet high. And it was their class, it was like an ovoid shape, kind of like an eggish type shape. A big old pill just woom, 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 appears over the park. And everyone just kind of freezes. They look up. They can see the grass in the park slowly being blown around by the propulsion of this thing. And then, disappears. What was that? Everyone's kind of looking up. Looking at each other. They're like, uh... Everyone's checking to see how much vodka they drank that day. The little seven-year-old's like, I've only had a fifth today. And still, that's kind of weird looking. A few minutes later, ship reappears in the park. And it's right over where some kids are playing soccer. Totally ruined that game. I mean, I'm sure one kid was able to score a goal while everyone else was looking up. But there it is again. I actually don't know if it's making the noise. It was just there. I like that noise. Now, you have a bunch of kids looking up at this thing. And the kids weren't the only witnesses. You had adults all over the park. You had a bunch. There was at least like 60 to 70 witnesses of this thing. It was like six. It was a little after 6 p.m. when this was happening. They're looking up at this UFO. And a door opens up underneath it. Kind of see up into the craft. But it's not so much that they can see into the craft. It's they see something looking out of the craft. It was an alien. They described it as having no neck. And it had like a domed head. So imagine like a suit of... It almost seemed like a classic alien from a 1950s movie. So it had no neck and it had what was described as a knobby head. So it kind of had a helmet that came down, covered up its neck, and went to its shoulders. It had these really long arms. They said it was around nine feet tall. So it had like, imagine the juggernaut, like a juggernaut type helmet from the comic book. Not the actual like ship or whatever the juggernaut refers to in a catapult or a ram or something like that. Anyways, they're looking at this thing and it's staring out of the ship. And they see two white eyes like in this helmet. And then there's a red eye, like a th- where the third eye would be in those drawings on the Dead Rabbit logo. You know what a th- where a third eye is. It was this red light that went, and it rotated like a radar all the way around the helmet. And it's just looking out of the craft, just kind of scanning the area. And then the door shuts. And then four little landing pads. Come out of the bottom of it. The ship begins to descend on the soccer field. Everyone's. St- There's a point where you think I should run, or this is a once in a lifetime thing, or you're just too frozen to do anything, really. A little door comes out of the craft, and the alien who was previously looking begins walking down this ramp. Walking just very. They described it as walking with a heavy gait. You know, it's nine feet tall. This isn't like a ballerina. It's going to... It's not Pacific Rim either, but they're just he's walking down this platform. And then two more aliens of similar size, and they look exactly the same, begin walking out as well. Now, the aliens had this little disc-shaped thing on their chest. So it was like someone glued a plate to their chest. They're walking down this gangplank, right? And then... There's a box with legs, like a little robot, from, like a gonk droid from Star Wars. This little box with legs begins walking down 
They ramp too. And they're all standing at the bottom and they're standing on Earth. And there's just silence in the park. Because all these humans are watching this thing. And one of the aliens turns and starts turning knobs. The, the box robot had knobs on it. Begin turning knobs. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of started walking around more. It starts breakdancing. Anyways, anyways. So anyways, no, it wasn't breakdancing. It was just kind of doing its robot thing. The aliens begin taking soil samples. So they've been scooping up little park dirt into these little vials. Holding them up to the sun. Shaking them. I don't know if they're doing that. But they were taking soil samples, right? And then... After a couple moments of that, the lead alien, the one they first saw, the one who got off the ship first, begins scanning the area. Now, what's weird is that they did not acknowledge the existence of the humans at all, which to me is more terrifying. Like, remember Jurassic Park? Like, yes, being chased by a T-Rex is scary. Actually, a better example, remember the movie The Mist at the very ending? Like, they're getting attacked by spiders and bugs the whole time, but at the very ending, they're driving by this creature. They're driving underneath it, and it's so big, you can't even see the top of it. And it's completely oblivious to the humans around it. To me, that's scary. To me, that's scarier. To be around something that's so magnificent, it doesn't even register that you exist. These aliens are... It's the same way that we look at squirrels and ants. Like, every so often we'll see a squirrel and go, oh, that's cute. But they're all around us. We don't acknowledge them all the time. These aliens are walking around. And the the lead alien, the one they suppose the lead alien, is making these weird, like, chirping noise, this weird language. They they say it's indecipherable. It didn't sound like any known language. It's making these weird noises, and it seemed like the other aliens were responding to it. And then, out of its dish-shaped chest plate, it begins projecting geometric images. Like, it would turn, and you'd look at a tree, and then it'd go... And you would see, like, a rectangle and a square and a triangle just appear on the tree. And it seemed to the people there that he was trying to direct his fellow scientists, foot soldiers, whatever they were, his goons, to pay attention to that particular thing. Now, for whatever reason, this is the point where somebody freaks out. There was a young boy, by the time the alien was shooting the geometric images around, he's like, oh no, Circles, my most hated enemy! This little kid begins screaming out loud, and for the first time the aliens acknowledge there are humans around. And the lead alien turns and looks right at the screaming boy, and the screaming stops. The boy is completely frozen. And everyone in the park sees what happened. Everyone in the park freaks out. And then, the aliens are gone. The ship is gone. It's over. Now, the aliens don't get on the ship and fly away. It's just blink, everything's back to normal. And the frozen kid, oh, oh, man, that was weird. Oh, wait, I mean, ah, start screaming again. Now, the second they disappeared, the frozen kid was unfrozen. And people just stood there and thought, what in the world happened? Now, by 1989, even in the Soviet Union, you had a working knowledge of like what a UFO is and stuff like that. So the general idea of, you know, aliens get off a ship, they fly a ship around, you get off the ship, then when you want to leave, you get back on the ship and fly away. But that's not what happened here. It, they just blinked out of existence. The robot, little boxy robot, he was in the middle of a doing the, he was in the middle of doing the worm, just, pss, the park is totally back to normal. This is known as the Veronza, however pronounced it earlier, the Veronza incident is how it's known. And... It's a really interesting story for two reasons. One, it really was a culture clash between Western news 
really Western UFOology and Western mainstream news versus Soviet Union UFOology and Soviet Union mainstream news. And you really had like these two things clashing at this time. This story is also really interesting for another reason. And this reason doesn't involve two different cultures. This reason involves you. You see, you, dear listener, made the exact same mistake that those Russians did in the park almost 30 years ago to the day. You made the exact same mistake they did because you thought the story was over just like they did. The aliens reappeared five minutes later in the exact same positions they were in. So the three aliens who were walking around the park disappeared. Everyone's milling about, can't figure out what happened. And five minutes later, the UFO is back. It's landed. The aliens are still standing on the ground exactly where they were before they disappeared. There's only one difference. One of the aliens is holding a foot-long tube. He turns, points it at a 16-year-old boy. The boy disappears. Pandemonium. People begin running out of the park. And the aliens just turn and slowly start walking back to their ship. Little robot box. Picking up its cardboard box. Putting it away. Walking up into the ship. They all board the UFO landing pads. Go back into the UFO. Starts flying away. The boy reappears. The idea of running into an alien would be scary. I know I talk a lot of times about beating up gray aliens, and they're lame. I beat up gray aliens all day long. But uh, the idea of encountering this type of alien activity, one that doesn't even recognize that you are worth acknowledging, thinking it's over, and then hanging out there trying to figure out what went wrong, and then finding out that those aliens were still there watching you, steadying you, as you just stand there confused. And then they come back. But the creepiest thing about that story to me is, if you had a buddy that you watched dematerialize and then just appear again, would you ever trust him? Like, I mean, my, that might sound cold. He's like, hey, can I borrow 20 bucks? You're like, I don't know. You used to pay me back, but that was before you dematerialized. But did he just vanish? Or was he replaced? The story is pretty much buried at this point. I stumbled across it because I'm reading this amazing website that I've been referring to a lot recently called Cryptopia. And Rob Morphy, he's written for Mysterious Universe. He did that right up. He's done a lot of stories we've covered recently. If you look through the show notes, I reference him a lot. But have you ever heard that story before? I haven't. I heard it a week. I heard it about a week and a half ago. I read it on his website. And I mean, I was just like, is that the real kid? Or is it a replacement? Is that real Russian kid still living his life in Russia, 30 years older, complaining about his back and his job? Or is it some sort of alien sleeper agent? Was that the same kid? 
you get shot with an alien. The whole thing's okay. So he not only does he get shot with an alien beam, disappears. The aliens leave and he comes back. That's weird in and of itself. But what if the aliens, the reason why they became invisible to begin with, was because they were looking for, they were just studying this crowd of people, looking for who they thought would be the perfect experiment. And once they found that kid out of the 70 people who had gathered, they got their equipment ready and got to work. Yesterday, when we were talking about the ass wing, I made a joke because part of the legend is the ass wings would kill you in the middle of nowhere and then take a banana tree stump and carve an image of you and then send it back into the city to say, oh, I'm so sick, and then die. And people don't know that you really died in the forest. It was a way to deflect suspicion. They were just, if you had a bunch of people die in town, they were just sick. It's not that they were really just banana tree stumps. And I laughed about that. This story's kind of the same. Because how, I'm not saying the guy's a banana tree stump, but how do you know that that guy is the real guy? Would you ever trust him again? Or would you ever think in the back of your head, what happened to you when you disappeared? Oh man, it was really weird. Like I got shot with that beam and then I was just came back. Like for me, it was just a second, but and you'd be like, here, eat this banana. And he's like, no, I'm no cannibal and runs away. No, but it's like the same, it's the same idea. That story ends with a kid reappearing. And at first glance, when I read it, I thought, oh, so everything had a happy ending. But how do we really know, if this story is true, how do we really know that 30 years almost to the date, how do we know that that Russian kid, this kid isn't some specimen in a laboratory somewhere? Maybe he's still alive and they're studying him. Maybe he's already, he's already been dissected. And now there's just little samples of him sitting somewhere in some alien laboratory next to little jars of soil taken from a perfect little park in Russia. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>